Warning, the Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to Not Real Art, the podcast where we talk to the world's most creative people. I am your host, faithful, trusty, loyal, tireless host, Sourdough, coming at you from Crew West Studio in Los Angeles. Thanks for tuning in to the, oh, I don't know, 200 and something, something episode of Not Real Art. We do this for you. It's all about you. If it weren't for you, I'd just be talking into a microphone and that would just be sad. So we're really grateful that you're tuning in again today. I'll tell you what, we've got a fantastic episode for you. Something I just was really excited about and charmed to talk to Chess Perry from Rightway Signs in Chicago. Chess is a fantastic artist. Uh, He has been hand-painting signs since 1970, trained by the best at the Institute of Lettering and Design in Chicago where Perry received his degree, and he's been painting signs, hand-painting signs around Chicago since the 70s. And his company that he owns with his son, Rightway Signs, is doing fantastic work, not just all over Chicago, but all over the country. And we're going to talk about the work that he's doing these days. And not just, by the way, hand-painted signs. They're doing all kinds of stuff in murals and neon and roof signs and dimensional signs and vinyl graphics uh, and electric signs and menu boards. I mean, all kinds of cool stuff. So we're going to talk to Chess about Right Way and all the cool work that they're doing. So stay tuned. Now, before we get into that, I want to, of course, encourage you to go to the notrealart.com website and check out all the good, healthy stuff for you. We just opened our grant for artists, so please be sure to go and sign up for that for your chance to win 2000 bucks and thousands more in marketing support and PR. So be sure to go to notrealart.com and submit for our grant today. I'll tell you what, it's been an incredible busy time, and people like Chess Perry are incredibly busy And I'm just so grateful that he was so generous enough to sit down with me today to tell us his story and share his journey with us, which is a unique one because the handmade, hand-painted sign art form is really enjoying a renaissance as we're all sort of sick and tired, I think, of the digital LED overload that we're all experiencing, the handmade, the human-made is really enjoying, I think, renewal and a renaissance because I think we're hungry for that kind of connection as people to not just to one another, but to the handmade and the hand-painted and and connecting with that humanity that is just uh, intrinsic to a handmade sign. And uh, I'll tell you what, Chess Perry is a unique breed of artist, and he was taught and trained by the best that Chicago had to offer when he immigrated from Newfoundland to Chicago, 
where he's been ever since 1970, I believe. So I was just an honor to sit down with Chess and hear from him today. I'm really grateful that he took time out of his busy schedule to sit down. So without further ado, let's get into this conversation that I had, was lucky enough to have, with the one and only Chess Perry. Chess Perry, welcome to Not Real Art. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's such an honor to have you here, all the way from my favorite city, home sweet home, Chicago. What's the weather like today? Um, it's not too bad. It's not sunny. It's cloudy, but a little humid. A little humid. Okay. Is your team on scaffolds uh, today uh, doing uh, multiple projects? No, we got one guy who was out taking off some letters, individual letters that once he gets them off, I think starting tomorrow, I got to paint the background black and we're going to write and put individual letters up there. We're going to paint it, paint the lettering on this time. So, well, okay. So for the listeners who are not familiar with your work, because, you know, I'm a you know Midwesterner who lived in Chicago. I've seen your work around the city. I've adored it. Chicago is obviously, you know, such an amazing city. We all love it. But the branding and the, the signage and the creativity and the advertising, I mean, obviously, there's a great tradition there. And so uh, tell us about Rightway Signs. What does Rightway Signs do? How did Rightway Signs come to be? Well, we started a company in 2012, but as you know, probably I've been uh, painting signs since 1970. I went to a sign painting school for three years. Then when I got out, I found myself a job in a, in a sign shop. In 1980, I bought a sign shop up in Evanston, Illinois, on up on the North Shore. And I was there for about 25 years. So the computer took over in 1990 and kind of killed the sign painting industry, as you probably know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much. The 90s were kind of rough, you know. I managed to keep busy, but not that busy, you know, keep, keep moving along with it. And so Alex came around when he was like 21 and uh, started helping me out a little bit. He was good at marketing. So we started to get a little busier. I think it was 2005 we decided there was not a whole lot going on up in Evanston anymore. It seemed like all the big customers that I had moved out of Evanston out to the western suburbs. And so it started to go downhill as far as sign painting went there. So uh, Alex decided that I probably should just do small projects here and there on my own and, you know, see what happens with that. But, of course, he put, you know, on social media, he put hand-painted signs and not realize what was going to happen. So, <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it was good timing, I guess, you know. Yeah, so I started that up in Evanston. It wasn't called Rightway Signs at that time, but we were just kind of I think we changed the name to Evanston Signs, and we started getting a little busier, and because there was not a whole lot of stuff going on in Evanston, he said, why don't we move to Chicago? So we moved upon the place of rent in Chicago, we moved there, and we changed our name. I think, I don't know if we changed our name right away or not, but it wasn't too long after we moved to Chicago, we decided to call it Rightway Signs. Yeah, it just took off and been going crazy ever since. You just keep getting busier and busier. So what do you think, in your own words, I have my own theory, but like, what do you think it is that people love about what you do today? Like, why is your artistry in the hand-painted signage space, like, why are people responding in such a positive way these days? Why do you think the handmade is popular now? 
I think because of the generation that came after me, you know, when, when the vinyl took off in 1990, they were probably, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight years old or something. And then it really started, you know, taking off. But 15 years later, it started to come back again. When we, I think, you know, we started doing it. And then I, I think those young people, you know, found an interest in it, like, Wow, this is something new, you know. We've never seen this. Yeah. <laughs> They've never seen a hand painted. You know, a lot of them got kind of hooked on. You know, wow, this is fun. You know, or whatever. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's why it came back because it, it's something new. You know. Well, it's something. Yeah, it feels to me like it's something natural, right? It's, or it's human. It's organic. It's not. You know, we've lived in this digital age of tech and whatever and i feel like part of what they're responding to you in your work is the humanity right like this was a, a real person a real hand you know crafted this you know yeah and every you know sign painter is different you know right it's kind of like your handwriting you know your handwriting is not the same as mine so sign painting kind of it's kind of like that that's really interesting right and that's something to think about for listeners who maybe have not really thought about sign painting before hand painting there is a DNA that is unique to the painter, right? There is an aesthetic that is you know, signature. Yeah. Yeah. You know, every sign painter you know, got their own style, you know. And way back in the 70s and 80s when, you know, everything was hand painted, I could look at a sign and tell you who did it, you know, just by the style. So who are some of the legendary, I mean, you're a legendary sign painter, but who are the, you know, legendary sign painters that you remember that came to mind that inspired you? Well, like I said, I went to a, a sign painting school for three years. And the owner, it was a real, it was only like 25 students at this school. The owner's name was Sid Borden, and he probably had to be in his 60s at that time. He was one of the old timers, I guess you could say. And another guy was Les Medley. He was a little bit younger, I think. We had one more guy who came in and taught us murals, you know, painting portraits on the sides of buildings. I don't remember his name, but yeah, there was a couple more that, and there was a few after school that I, you know, I went to work for, and uh, you know, I went up top of my head, I can't remember the names. I can see their faces. <laughs> <laughs> I know it all blends together. Does the yeah. name Skyline Signs mean anything to you? Do you remember Skyline? Hmm. Were they a big company or? I think well, I didn't think they were big, but medium size anyway. Um, they were Way around back. in the nineties, you know. Yeah, that's not ringing a bell with me. Yeah. They were a friend of mine who's an artist, he's doing different painting and other kinds of art now. But when I was living in Chicago back in the 90s, we met and we were, you know, young bucks in our 20s. And uh, but he had worked at Skyline for a couple of years and they were doing some really cool, you know, signing and signage and branding and stuff. You know. OK, so was a sign shop. Yeah, it was a sign shot. They did, uh, but they, you know, they did the 3D stuff and the fabrication, yeah. you know, all that right. stuff too. But take us back to the Institute of Learning and Design. I mean, I want to, the, the fact that there was a school where you could go to learn this trade, like, but even before that, how did you, were you an artist? Like, how did you even come to this interest? Well, yeah, I, I love to draw. I still do love to draw and paint. I still paint and, and draw whenever I can find time, which is not much because uh, <laughs> right. And seven days a week uh, doing sign painting. But yeah, as far back as I can remember, probably eight or nine years old, I loved to draw. I actually thought I was going to be a commercial artist. So I found this school in Chicago. 
thinking it was a commercial art school and it was a sign painting school. So I just fell into sign painting. No, never <laughs> dreamt that I'd be, never dreamt I'd be painting signs for the rest of my life, you know. <laughs> but I loved that. That was a weird thing. I know a weird thing, but you know, right from the beginning, I just loved uh, sitting there all day long and practicing, you know, my lettering, the lettering and that. Yeah, that's how I got into it. And uh, it was a three-year course, and then I started working in sign shops around the area. So when it's a three-year course, so you say three-year course, like, do you remember sort of what year one was like, year two, year three? Like, what was the curriculum? Like, how was the education structured to give you the skills and the tools that you need to actually become a professional sign painter? Yeah. You know, because there's not too many old sign painters around. They might be around, but they're probably not, you know. Some dabble in it a little bit, but not much, and some don't, you know, some retired. That's one thing I noticed today. I, I see some of those, you know, on social media, teaching or showing you how to do it. But they're doing it a little bit different than I did it because, you know, I had those old-timers who were sign painters from the 40s, 50s, and 60s, you know, way, way back. They taught me, first got to, you know, pull those straight strokes up and down, across, curves and curves, and just practice and practice that for two or three months probably. And then they'd have you do the alphabet, the Gothic alphabet or Alvetica, whichever you want to call it. And that was the most important alphabet. They would, um, you know, if you knew how to do that alphabet, all the other ones just fell in behind it. You know, the others were, even though they look complicated, they were simpler because the Gothic alphabet or the block lettering, it almost had to be perfect, you know, because otherwise it wouldn't look right. Whereas some of the other stars, you can get away with, you know, certain things. So I went through all that, and then they would, after you got good at lettering, then they broke everything down, like they would teach you how to do paper signs, show cards, which are little cardboard signs that they used to put on the counters in restaurants or grocery stores or whatever. And then from show cards, you would go on to probably truck lettering, window lettering. You know, everything was individually taught. Because it was a slightly different, not a, not a big lot of difference, but, you know, truck lettering, window lettering, plywood signs, banners, gold leaf, a little bit of airbrushing. I can't think of what else in the course, but <laughs> it must have been something else because it was three years. <laughs> what else did I do? Well, actually, I should back up. Before I started doing uh, the brush work, they would have you do pen work, little pen nibs that were circles. Yeah, you had to learn how to do the lettering with a pen first. So everybody was taught on an individual basis because some were faster than others. Some were, you know, it came to them easier than others. You know, some people struggle with it. So everything you did was, you know, one-on-one with the instructors. I'm trying to think what else was in that course. How did you guys start to think about, I mean, I guess, you know, I don't know, proportion, form, structure, line, you know, all that stuff was, you know, I guess, fundamental. But then when in terms of, you know, I don't know, like building the letters or whatever, but then how does color and colorway and, you know, how did you start to introduce, you know, color into the conversation? Yeah, way back. Sign paint is supposed to be pretty simple. Okay. We pretty much learned four different alphabets that you pretty much use through almost everything you did. That was the block lettering. A cartoon, which is kind of a fast style letter, and a thick and thin letter, and script. That was pretty much the four things that you did. We just used the basic one-shot sign painter's paint. 
which was just your basic colors, you know, white and black, red, blue, yellow, white, black, red, blue, and yellow. That was pretty much it. If you wanted a green, you know, you mix the colors. If you want a brown or an orange, you just mix the colors. So it was pretty simple back in the day. <laughs> yeah, not anymore, <laughs> right? <now. laughs> well, you know, they got a million colors out there, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I'm curious about a couple things. One is, you know, scale. So, for example, you know, hand-painted letters, like, okay, you know, I think most of us can kind of imagine the classic hand-painted sign in the butcher shop or something, right? You know, pork chops or, you know, so much pound or whatever the hell, right? So there's that. But then what about scale? So like did the teaching and what, you know, did the Institute of Lettering and Design teach you how to say scale it down to be a, if you were to do comic books, like for example, could you letter a comic book based on what they taught you? Are you talking about like the front page of me, not the comic book? Well, or, or even the dialogue, you know, because the scripting and the hand lettering, right, in comic books is, you know, obviously, you know, there's a, that's an art form, right? But it's also, but it's far smaller in a different context. So I'm just curious, like, you know, if you had graduated and decided that you wanted to go into comic books, do you feel like what you learned at the Institute would have given you the skills to adapt to that smaller format? Or is that just a different animal altogether? Yeah, that, that's a different animal, yeah. Okay, okay, interesting. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, because like I said, you know, the guy out of school, we're taught the basics, you know. Whether it was a paper sign or a truck lettering or a wooden sign, it was it was pretty much the same, you know, his format. And one of the things I guess I forgot I left out, it was layout is very important. I was taught that the layout was more important than the lettering. The lettering had to look professional, but it didn't have to be perfect. You know, but the layout, if you don't have the layout done right, you know, the sign won't work. You know, you were taught what was more important on the sign and what wasn't. And you almost had to be a consultant, too, because a lot of people would come in and they would have a whole mess of copy on it. You had to try to tell them that too much. <laughs> yeah, clients. <laughs> it's got to be read real quick, you know. And yeah. yeah. You'd and love what you do if it weren't for the clients. You love the money, but the clients could be a real pain in the butt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Another one was you're supposed to leave a good border around, let's say, a paper sign. You've got a three by four paper sign. The border, you should have a border about at least three inches. What that means is the lettering should be three inches from all the way around. Don't have it right next to the border. A lot of people make that mistake. And, uh, you know, I would have customers come in and go, or making the lettering all the same size, that's a bad one too. You know, something on the sign has got to stand out, you know, be bigger so that when you're driving by or something that catches your eye. And I would have customers come in and go, okay, I want a for rent sign, you know, with um, so many square feet on it, a phone number and a contact person. And they would say, I want the lettering made all the same size and I want you to go right from border to border. <laughs> 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 those two things are completely wrong <laughs> yeah you're like sorry i can't I, like i literally can't do that like it's impossible <laughs> i would just do it my way you know right well, of course of course well because chess knows best apparently yeah, just, you know <laughs> i love that tagline your son's he's a great guy. marketer he's that one you know we should have him on the conversation too he's really done a fantastic job. I didn't realize that there was that intimate connection between you and him in the business because yeah. yeah, he took your artistry and your expertise, 
you know, and packaged it and branded it and is marketing it very, very well, my friend. He's pretty good at that. I'm I'm just the opposite of that. So of course we're we both you know it works so good because he's good at that and I right. sign painting. So it, you know well, you're the artist and he's the manager and every good artist, the great artist needs a great manager and you can do your thing and he can do his, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's very good at that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, uh, so now in terms of, you know, like one time I remember seeing a sign painter painting in reverse, like they were in the window sort of painting backwards, if that makes sense. I mean, have you found yourself in that situation? And I mean, how does one even do that? You know, first of all, you have to paint it on the inside, you know, because on the outside, it's easy for it to come right. off right. with the water or somebody can scrape it off. So window lettering is usually done on reverse, you know. Unless it's something simple, we usually make a pattern for it. And we stick the pattern on the outside and just, you know, follow the pattern on the inside. Got and, it. Uh, Coloring yeah, book style. Got you. Yeah. Usually make patterns because, it's, you know, faster. You want, you know, anything that will make a, a sign, you know, Make you get a sign done faster. You you go with that, you know. But I don't do a whole lot of small stuff anymore. Of course, you probably know I travel the country, right? Yep. <laughs> yep, you do. You're all over. It's amazing. Oh yeah, I'm over back home for a week or two, and I'm gone for a month or two. We got to figure out how to get you to L.A. Have you done any projects here? Yeah, I've been here four times. Oh well, I didn't catch that part. Next time you come out, I want to buy you dinner. I was there actually about two, oh, not two months ago, but I think it was February. I was there. The first time I did a couple of small murals at L.A. Dodger Stadium for the concession stands. Sure. It was not, you know, it was very simple. If you ever go there, you'll see if you stand in front of the concession stand and look down. By your feet. <laughs> I want to look for it next time. <laughs> well, there it is right by your feet. Then I did uh, a flat roof by John Wayne and by okay. the last one. The last one was by LAX. So, yeah, I've been there four times. Great. I live in a place called Encino. And so Dodger Stadium, LAX, obviously very, very close to the other project you mentioned, the, I think the roof deal down by John Wayne, that's a bit further out. But the rooftop thing is very interesting because I remember, this is an honest to God, true story. You know, I was living in Chicago, you know, it was early 90s. I was up high in a building somewhere. And I remember looking down on all the rooftops and I thought to myself, you know, what a missed opportunity for advertising or branding as people are flying over. And maybe, you know, I wondered why it wasn't happening. Maybe it was a technology issue or a materials issue, maybe because I'm guessing, you know, the rooftops are taking a beating, right? Like, you know, so what was it about the evolution of rooftop signage and how did that happen? I mean, you're doing so much of it now and it's so cool. And, you know, that QR code that you painted on that one building, I mean, what a complex, at least for a neophyte like me, just feeling like a very complicated project. So take us through your rooftop work and how that evolved, et cetera, et cetera. You probably have to ask Alex that. <laughs> <laughs> you have to ask him that question because okay. one day he goes, Oh, you're going to wherever, L.A., you know, go, for what? Oh, we we got to paint a roof there, a logo on the roof. <laughs> yeah, at that part, some or another, I don't know how that came about. He must have put some advertising on social media or something. Well, actually, I did do one in Chicago way back in probably when we first opened Right Way Signs uh, for Napa. In one of the suburbs, the planes would come over here going to the airport and so they called us up, they wanted their logo on the roof. I think the, their 
logo is kind of square, so I think it was like a 50 foot by 50 foot square logo. And that was the first one I ever did for a rooftop. Right, right. And I guess he put that on social media and it kind of started, you know. Oh, yeah, it went viral on you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Before I know it, I'm. Uh, <laughs> I got rooftops everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Man. I've been pretty much everywhere. I've been to 60 different places. Amazing. You know, some big cities, some smaller towns where we also do Bucky's logo. I know if you're, you saw, probably saw the Bucky logo, right? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. So I've done about 18 of those. And I got to go down to Texas when it gets warmer, uh, cooler, I should say. <laughs> I got about, I don't know, 20 more to do it in Texas alone. So, <laughs> so Frequent flyer miles. Uh, yeah. Just stack it up. Rooftop in Tempe, Arizona to do. That's all I can think of at the moment. I'm sure there's a few more out there somewhere. Usually I'm gone pretty much all winter in a way. So could you ever imagine coming out of the Institute that you would be doing, flying all over the world, painting rooftops, you know, at 72? No, never crossed my mind. No. <laughs> it's amazing. I probably just thought I'd be doing small stuff for the rest of my life. You know, the usual. They call it a commercial sign shop when you do, you know, the paper signs and, you know, window lettering, show cards and truck lettering and banners, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. They call mm-hmm. it a commercial sign shop. But, yeah, I've kind of gotten pretty much away from that. You know, if it's not rooftops, it's brick walls, you know, here and there. Pretty crazy. Well, so when you do rooftops versus big walls, you know, A, I mean, what's more challenging, a big wall or a big rooftop? Well, the rooftops are pretty simple. Yeah. You know, they're not complicated. I mean, it's just a matter of once you get it laid out, you know, painted is not that hard. But probably brick walls because, you know, it's usually advertising for somebody. It's not just uh, one word or something. And again, we use patterns for that unless it's too big, you know. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. if it's simple, we'll kind of eyeball it. But like Abe Lincoln face, you saw that one, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Huge. We use patterns for that. Right. So the, in terms of, you know, your, I guess your workflow, I'm guessing the majority of your business comes from clients who have artwork that's kind of finished that you're meant to fabricate, you know, to spec in some particular way, in some particular material. What percentage of your clients say, you know, Chess, you know best, design something for us, you know, give us, you tell us what we need in terms of artwork. You know what? Fortunately, that's not my job. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to analyze those kinds of numbers. Okay, gotcha. (laughs) That's what you're doing. Go and do it. No, we got a designer here. Actually, most of the companies, especially big ones, they got their own designers. Yeah, right. Yeah, they design something and, you know, send it to us and we take care of it from there. Or or once in a while, we'll have our designer do it if they don't have a designer. Yeah, but I mean, the old days... Again, everything was a lot simpler. The computer has made it, you could say, you know, harder to do. Yeah. Because the, the designers get so involved in, they kind of like overdo it, I guess you could say. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I guess a good example is uh, real estate companies. You know, I, I did a ton of those back in the day, in the 70s. And this was before the fax machine, too. So they always had to bring it in, you know. They would just bring in a piece of paper with scratched on there for sale by owner or whatever. And just give it to me and say, you know, to give me the size they want. And uh, here, this is what I want. When can I pick it up? Didn't ask a thing. You know, that was it. Right, right. And he knew that, you know, it was going to come out okay, you know. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
But, you know, so we did it very simple, you know, just block lettering, mm-hmm. a little bit of script and whatever, you know. And, uh, yeah, but today's world with the computer, you know, everything has gotten a little more, I wouldn't say complicated, but more time-consuming, I guess, you know, when it comes to painting it and that. Yeah, it sort of feels like just because we can doesn't mean we should, right? Like, you know, in terms of like all this tech and all of the things that we can do, all the colors, whatever, like at the end of the day, it's sort of like the discipline to constrain yourself, you know, and be focused gets to the clarity of the message because you're trying to get the message across, right? Right. And that's to be kept simple as possible, you know. They got, I never looked it up, but there's probably a million different alphabets out there now, you know. And most of them are pretty hard when it comes to trying to read them, you know. Oh, my God. Some magazines now I can't even, like, read because it's just every day. You know, when I drive around, I'm always looking at signs, you know. Oh, that one's pretty good. Or, oh, that one's bad, whatever, you know. But, uh, yeah. And, and again, I just block lettering, script, cartoon style, we call it. And thick and thin. Maybe once in a while, depending on what sign, we throw in some old English, you know, alphabet. <laughs> that was pretty much it for the first 25 years I painted signs. That was it. Until a computer came and took over, and then <laughs> the layout started to change, you know, with all those different letter styles and that. Yeah, I mean, there are countless fonts now. Countless. I mean. I mean, thousands. Of th- I don't even know, like, what the number is. Yeah. I never look at one of those. I just go with my brain. <laughs> <laughs> if someone wants me to lay it out, you know. It's well, not a lot, you know, these young bucks, they did not graduate from the Institute of Lettering and Design. That's the real deal there, you know. Yeah, that's the problem right there because, I mean, I'm assuming they went to school and learned how to do it, you know, but no one thought, they were never taught how to do a layout, you know, they just, you know, do it on their own. And I always want to be a sign consultant to everybody because to help them uh, with their layouts, you know. <laughs> It's like, here, let, come with me. Let me show you how it's done. <laughs> this is, you're hurting your business. You must walk yeah. around with a headache all the time. Yeah. Sometimes I'll be driving somewhere and probably be a vehicle that's real bad. And I would always took a picture. But as far as I got with I never did anything else. <laughs> well, I would actually, it's funny. That'd be an interesting kind of follow-on story to like do an exploration of like good signage versus bad signage and why, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah, oftentimes I would have a board there, you know, uh, on the wall, pegboard, and it says bad signs with a picture of them all, you know. But sometimes I'll go by a store that's got a paper sign in the window. It's bad, and I probably took a picture of it, but as far as I got again, I always wanted to paint that sign for them the right way and then take it to them and said, here, here's a free sign, you know. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is how it's supposed to look, you know? Next time, hire me, and we'll get it right the first time, you know? Yeah, <laughs> Goodness. Well, it's an interesting point because, so I studied graphic design at Columbia College, Chicago. I graduated okay. from Columbia yeah. College. So you, know and, so you kind of know what I'm talking Yeah, yeah. They never taught you layout, right? No, no. Well, the point I'm getting at is because what you do is such a specialty, right? It is such a, well, it's a specialty. When I studied graphic design, it it was a much general kind of conversation. And yes, we touched on layout and we touched on topography and we touched on color, you know, strategy and that. But we didn't go, now you could go deep, I guess, you know, somebody could have focused on layout or topography, you know, I didn't, you know, but my bigger point is that these schools are 
So, because I also hired a lot of graphic designers. So when I graduated and I started working around the city in various, you know, agencies or advertising firms or design firms, like I would hire freelance graphic designers or what have you. And so that was back in the day when people had portfolios, you know, they would come in and show you their book or whatever, right? Now everything's online. But, you know, what would be interesting is these kids would come fresh out of school, not necessarily Columbia, but other schools, other design schools. And they would come in with their portfolios and I would say, well, I want to, you know, where's your sketchbook, you know? And they would say, what do you mean? You know, like, I don't have a sketch. Like, what do you mean you don't have a sketchbook? You know, like, well, you know, I want to show you all these finished pieces, you know? And I was like, well, I want to see how you think. And your sketchbook, you know, shows me that you know how to think and draw and, you know, and what I learned was that a lot of these schools Certainly the bigger ones, not the credible ones, you know, but a lot of these schools were cutting, going right to the computer. And a lot of these kids were not getting drawing classes and anatomy, you know, and the fundamentals. And they were sort of just going. So, of course, they weren't learning about layout and topography. They were just learning software, like how to use Photoshop, how to use Illustrator, how to use. And so it's this real expertise, this handcrafted artisanal level approach you know just it was rare then it's still rare but i mean that's what you are you're an artisan you're a craftsman right you're brewing a very specific batch of letters right i always thought about opening up a sign paint school but i don't know if i'll ever get to it because uh, so <laughs> well, you're too busy flying around <laughs> yeah. you know people sometimes ask me when are you going to retire i say never i mean i never worked a day in my life you know this is uh, like a hobby <laughs> Well, isn't that powerful, right? The, who would have yeah. thought that you've spent your life not working at all, but, you know, enjoying your gifts, you know, and your interests? Yeah, it's, it's, I feel pretty lucky sometimes to think that, you know, what I'm doing is not work. <laughs> well, and that's the beauty of being an artist, isn't it? Yeah. When I bought the sign shop in 1980, the guy I bought it from, he was ready to retire, and he had his regular customers. He wouldn't, you know, anybody came in outside of his regular customer, he wouldn't do their work because he just had enough, you know, keep him busy, and that was it. So when I bought it, I didn't want to fail at it, you know. So everybody came in the door, I just took everything. Yep, 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 you know. And I would find myself working 18 hours a day, 20 hours a day. <laughs> when I look back on it, I can't believe I did it. I would just go home for dinner, fall asleep for two hours, get up and go back to work. You know, all hours of the night didn't matter. And it didn't bother me, you know. It was something I loved to do and couldn't wait to get back to the shop and start painting signs again. And uh, I used to fall asleep everywhere. I would fall asleep painting a sign. I've done that. <laughs> Luckily, it was a paper sign, you know, which, you know, was pretty simple. I was sitting there at my drawing table, which usually was on an angle. Yeah. Like I am now and, and drawing, all of a sudden go, you know, fall asleep <laughs> right in the middle of it. Sleeping on the job, Jess, yeah. come on, man. Let's go to parties, you know, like someone on Alex's mother's side. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wait till the last minute before I go home. And she called me and go, well, okay, come on, we got to go. Out. We're ready to go. I go home, you know, jump in the shower, go out there, pass out on the couch right away. <laughs> and all of a sudden tap me on the shoulder. Okay, come on, it's time to go home. Just fell asleep out there and, and slept through the whole party. <laughs> and this was before those uh, people knew me that well. You might probably thought I was drunk or something. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I had, yeah. so I had my six, eight, seven-hour nap, and then I would uh, drop them off at home and go right to work. <laughs> so 
amazing. That's amazing. how crazy it was. It's also, I mean, yes, it's a testament, right, to, of course, your passion for what you do. But it also speaks to your work ethic, which is, you know, in the Midwest, right? Like one of the things, you know, it's it's the thing I always loved about Chicago, this idea, it's the city that works, but it's, we work hard, we play hard, you know, all that stuff. But that Midwestern work ethic, that perhaps Protestant Midwestern sort of, or even Catholic work ethic. I mean, Midwesterners know how to work. We love to work. Especially if it's something that, you know, you like, like I do. It doesn't matter if it's... Saturday, Sunday, Monday, it's just another day to me, you know. Most people, you hear them, oh, I'm glad tomorrow is Friday, you know, weekend. <laughs> don't mean a thing to me. Yeah, I typically liked Friday only because that meant on Saturday I could come in and nobody would be there and I could actually get work done. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> yeah, that's the other good thing about this job is usually you're doing a job by yourself and nobody's bothering you, you know. You know, whether you're on the side of a roof or wherever, you know, you're by yourself. And I think most artists are that way, whether it's a sign painter or regular artists, you know, painters. They like that alone thing when you're doing something that you love, you know, no distractions. So take us back. How did you, Chess, how did you end up in Chicago? Were you born there? I'm from Canada. Oh, well, <laughs> I, I missed that part. Okay, well, I used to live in Manitoba. Where did you live? Newfoundland. Oh, random. I love that. It's beautiful yeah. there. I've never been, but I've seen photos. <laughs> yeah, that opens up a whole new story here. No, it's from a little town of 500 people. Amazing. A little fishing village on the east coast of Newfoundland on the North Atlantic. That's where I spent five or six years fishing out there. <laughs> I hated every minute of it. I got seasick every day. <laughs> so I knew that wasn't for me. Yeah. Yeah, one day I was laying on the couch. It must have been a Sunday, I guess, afternoon. I was asleep. I don't know why I woke up, and it crossed my mind that, oh, I probably should go to a art school. So I looked up, a, I had an art magazine. I looked in the back of it, you know, for the advertising. And... There was one school in Vancouver, one school in Toronto, and one school in Chicago. The two, one in Vancouver and Toronto were, um, what do you call it, trade schools, which means I think you had to take other subjects, you know, with what you're learning. I didn't want to do that. I just wanted to draw all day long. So the one in Chicago looked very interesting. So I had sent a letter to him because there's not, no other way to contact him those days. I was expecting him because I thought it was a commercial art school because it said advertising and layout on one of the pages. And I expected them to, you know, write me back and go, well, send me some artwork. Let me see, you know, if you qualify to go to school. There was none of that. He just sent me a letter and said, okay, just let me know when you want to come and I'll get you a student. <laughs> You're in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll get you a student visa and send it to you and just, you know, jump on the plane and come. Amazing. Yeah, it almost happened overnight, you know. This was like probably August. I decided I was going to go there you know, right first day after Labor Day, start school. Yeah, I told all my friends I'm going to Chicago, and they were all, yeah, all right, you'll be gone two weeks and you'll be back, you know. <laughs> Did I say the population at that time was 500? Yes. I think I said Incredible. Yeah. So yeah. everybody knew each other, you know. Right. As soon as I said that, everybody in the town probably knew that, oh, he's going to Chicago. Anyway, got on a plane Saturday morning, had no idea where I was going. Not a clue. I had to change planes. <laughs> I had to change planes in Montreal, and I didn't know what to do after I got off the plane there. So I went up to the counter and said, where's whatever 
you know, airline I was on, where do I go to get this airline? You know, say, oh, go down there or whatever. And yeah, got on yeah. the plane to Chicago. And I was 19, by the way, 19 years old. And got on the plane and arrived at O'Hare and got off the plane. and had no freaking idea what to do. It's a Saturday <laughs> afternoon. And uh, so I, I talk about a fish somebody. out of water, a fish out yeah. of water story. Yes. Yeah. So I recognized some of the people who were on the plane with me. So I followed them. <laughs> <laughs> so they went down the escalator, you know, and wait for their luggage to come. So I did the same thing. My luggage came. <laughs> so I, made, I made sure I didn't lose track of them. So I grabbed my luggage. <laughs> they went out through the door and he got in a uh, cab. So I went out and got in a cab. <laughs> And the only address I had was of the school. I had no phone number from of anybody, just the address of the school. I guess the cab driver must have been a nice guy or, or I got out of the cab by the school and I didn't pay him or something. I just jumped out, you know, <laughs> and I walked over to the door and the door was locked. Of course, it was Saturday afternoon. And I turned around and said to the cab driver, I said, there's no one here. And he goes, well, what do you want to do? <laughs> I said, I don't know. <laughs> So I got back in the cab and he goes, come on, I'll take you to a hotel. So he took me to a hotel two blocks away. You know, went upstairs and called my father and said, I'm, I'm here. That's pretty much the conversation. Okay, talk to you later, bye. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I I guess I decided to go outside and, you know, investigate the, or check everything out, you know, see, see what it was like out there. And when I walked to the hotel door, it was very strange that I felt right at home. How weird is that, you know? Amazing. It's meant to be. A town of 500 people to what, two or three million or something? Yeah. <laughs> the fish found its natural body of water. Yes, I like so, it. Yeah. So, you know, it all just kind of fell in place after that, you know? I had planned on going back to Toronto after I finished school, you know, find a, a sign shop there. But in 75, I got married, then I got my green card, so I was able to stay. And uh, yeah, then I found work in the sign shops, and that's pretty much the, the rest is history, as they say. <laughs> I love that story. Do you remember where the hotel was, like what part of town that was, and, no, and what's there now? Well, the school was in Rogers Park. Uh, Clark and Greenleaf. I don't know if you're familiar with that area. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, it was right there. And two blocks over was Morse Avenue. And that's where he took me. Mm-hmm. Morse mm-hmm. Avenue by the L tracks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so when I went to school on Monday, the said Borden, the guy who ran the school, said, Oh, I'll take you to a better hotel. And it was like $90 a month. I thought, wow, I can't afford that. <laughs> that was a lot of money. Ninety dollars a month. Heck yeah, that was a lot of money, dude. I had, no, I had, uh, nothing dollars, today, but yeah. I had uh, two thousand dollars in my pocket, so that's <laughs> Not, yeah, in the dream. Right. Yeah. Right. So, uh, oh my gosh! So <clears throat> the lady. Had, well, the little, Canadian connection is a fascinating one. I've spent a fair amount of time in Canada canoeing up in the north, but I've never been to Newfoundland. Do you still have a family there? Do you get back? Oh, everybody's there, yeah. Yeah, yeah you know, I came right. here by myself, you know. Yeah, right, right. Of course, of course. Yeah, so everybody's yeah, there still. Uh, That's great. Yeah. You know, I would go home every year and for the first two or three years, then it started getting, you know, so I started working to get longer and longer. There was yeah. one time I didn't, go, I didn't go home for 10 years. Right. Like, you know. Yeah, working. Yeah. <laughs> Of course, now I still got relatives and cousins and all that, but 
you know, the younger generation, anybody under 60 years old, I have no idea who they are. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you start making a family? I mean, your son, when did he come into the picture and how did that all happen for you being a handsome single new guy in Chicago? Like how did the love life, you know, evolve? Well, I went to a little old lady who I call her a little old lady. Maybe she was only 50. I don't know when I was 19. She uh, said, hey, this guy is graduating school. You know, he rents a room from a family up in Evanston. You know, she said, why don't you go over there and, and talk to him? So I went and talked to him. I, got, I rented this room. And this guy was a, after talking to him for a while, he said, well, you want a part-time job? I'm security. I'm a security guard over at Evanston Hospital. And, of course, security guard in those days was a guy in a suit, you know. Yeah. Just telling right. people which way to go, you know. Yeah, yeah. I go, yeah. So he, he said, I'll get you a job in the cafeteria. I thought, wow, that's great. School was from 8 o'clock till 2, and I would go from school to work, and the first thing I would do was eat my dinner for free every night. Free dinner, so I can't beat yeah. that. You know? Yeah. So I got friends with one guy there, and uh, he had a friend who worked in Howard Street. You know that street? Oh, Howard it's, Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Ever hear of the fish keg? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the guy I gave a friend with at the hospital had a friend working at the fish keg. <laughs> After work, we would go there and meet him, and then we'd go out, you know, wherever. Yeah. We weren't old enough for a bar, but go somewhere anyway. So, yeah, so Alex's mother uh, worked there, and that's how we met. I love it. Actually, her uncle owned the fish keg. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I got married in, um, God, I almost said 85. I meant to say 75. 75. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alex, Alex was born in 1980, yeah. Right. Oh, that's great. And there you were all, you know, building the family and building the business. And you were, but you weren't working for yourself back then. You were working for other outfits, right? Other yeah. Shops? In the, uh, you know, in the early seventies, yeah, I worked for another sign company that didn't, you know, all the small stuff, paper signs, that kind of stuff, truck lettering. Then 1980, I came across this guy up in Evanston and I went in there and talked to him and he was only 60, but he was ready to retire at 60 years old in the seventies. And so I went to work for him part-time, and he saw that I was pretty interested, you know, in sign painting. You know, I never late. I was always early, probably. <laughs> he said, well, come in Saturdays and work, you know. So I would go in Saturdays. He would give me a couple of jobs to do. And then after a while, he said, you can come full-time. So we're sitting there one day at his bench, you know, painting signs, small signs. And out of the blue, he goes, so how would you like to buy this business? And, you know, I almost had a heart attack because I never dreamt of owning my own business, you know. So I went home and talked to Alex's mother and her parents. You know, they, had, of course, had to go to the bank and help me get the loan. Yeah, so that's how I bought that business. And the 80s was real good. I love that story. And that is, that's a testament to you, you know, in the, the fact that your former employer trusted their baby. They wanted to give their baby to you. It says a lot, right, about you. And I love that. That's great. And in the 80s, as you were embarking, and of course, you've been there now for, you know, working there for so many years. But when I was living there, I don't know what they're doing now, but, you know, Let Us Entertain You Restaurants was all over the place. I mean, I think they even, wasn't Ed DeBevick's theirs as well? You know, Let Us Entertain You might have, was, was that a, were they ever a client of yours? 
Yeah, they were. What was that, the 90s you were talking about? Or Well, I mean, I did when I was living there in the 90s, I knew that they were everywhere. They had a lot of different, you know, restaurants. Yeah. I, I don't know what their status is now, but. Yeah, I, I didn't do anything then, but after, you know, we all my breakaway science, I just came on board. Yeah, we did some stuff for them. I think we're still doing some. We actually did a Ed They just opened up a new one. You probably saw it. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I laughed too because I was actually, you know, when the first Ed DeBevix opened on Ontario and Wells, you know, I went there. I was probably, you know, 12 or 13 or something. And that was quite something, you know, Ed DeBevix. It was a lot of fun, you know. Yeah, I did a lot of painting in that one, what they wanted, and painting. And then we did some, you know, neon and some other kind of stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did pretty much all their science on the, the new one. But I think we still, I mean, again, you had to ask Alex that, but I think we still do some work for Let Us Entertain You. Yeah. So as we wrap up today, because I want to be respectful of your time, you're a busy, busy man. You probably have a plane to catch, uh, <laughs> as far as I know. No, I'm going home. I really look forward to the day when I can shake your hand, whether that's here in L.A. Next time you, you come, I want to buy you dinner. Or next time I'm in Chicago, my mom still lives in the suburbs and I come out a lot and I would love to come and, and meet you personally. Which suburbs, west or north? She's a northwest Indiana. I grew up out there. But anyway, you know, next time I'm in town, because I have, you know, so many friends and, and lots of work in downtown. But anyway, so I want to be respectful of your time, you know, as we wrap up. I mean, the, the opportunity, you know, to chat with you and understand your journey and your history, you know, because the art form, I mean, you know, I hate to say it, right? But it's an art form that needs to be passed down, right? Like, I don't know, you know, how that's going to happen. You know, these skills, these crafts, that heritage, that legacy needs to continue. You know, what is your, you know, like, as you think about the future and passing, you know, the torch, so to speak, what comes to mind? How are you schooling the younger kids coming up? Yeah, I'm not really. I'm trying to find somebody, you know, who's really, like me, really, really interested, you know. Yeah. Like, a passion for it, you know. Right, right. You don't care if it's five in the morning or two in the morning, you know, just or midnight you know, or nine o'clock at night, just, you know, ready to go, you know. I look to find at least one person that I could teach everything to, you know. <laughs> I'll send you my son. He needs a job. Trust me. He's uh, But he's six. Is, he, is that oh, yeah. too young? <laughs> yeah. He needs some some, some help, oh. a lot of help. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've had a few come through. You know, they're interested, but it didn't go very far. I was showing them how to pull those strokes, you know, like to practice and that. But yeah, yeah. Most of them are not with us anymore. And so, you know, they're on their own. But so I don't know how they're doing, you know. I mean, like I told you, there's a lot to learn, you know, it's just, right. you know, we think about it, I went to school for three years, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I just didn't learn it in a month or something, you know. Well, you know, and the, that, it's the 10,000 hours thing, right? You know, that, yeah, the yeah. idea that you got to put in the work and hone those yeah. skills. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I think you got to be interested. You got to have some skill, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Because not to boast, but I mean, it came pretty easy to me, you know, I just kind of, you know. I've had people who were at the school before I came there, and they were struggling the whole time I was there. They they even quit, you know, like they couldn't get it. You know, it's not so something that you can. I mean, either you got it or you don't, you know. Well, and yes, I get that, but I'm curious how much uh, coffee are you missing? Because uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's like, does the caffeine make the old uh, hand uh, shake? You know. 
No, my I got a very steady hand. It doesn't shake at all. <laughs> it's impervious to yeah. stimulants. <laughs> yeah. It's probably partly because uh, I consider myself I lived a you know clean life. You know, I never smoked, never drank. I don't drink. Yeah. yeah. I you know, work and sleep. That's pretty much it. You know. <laughs> but I started drinking coffee probably after we opened up Rightway Science. Before that, I never drank coffee. Interesting. Those, good. Good for yeah. you. All the 80s, and but now I'm hooked on it. You know, I got to have two coffee a day, morning in the morning, and one on the way home. So right, right, that's good. Clean living is good. It's uh, Chicago's one of those cities that's hard to. It's hard not to, you know, eat too right. much and hard not to drink too much. <laughs> now at my age, you know, I'm usually in bed by nine o'clock. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Well, I'm 53 and I got two kids under 10. So I wish I could go to bed at nine and sleep in, but I'm, you know, like they're usually jumping on my head at uh, 6 a.m. and what have you. Well, Chess, I'll tell you, my friend, I am honored and grateful that you took time to sit down and share your story and shine a light on your work, your story, your journey, your legacy. But also, you know, shout out to your son and the new vision for Right Way Signs. You guys are basically global now doing projects all over the world and beautiful, incredible work. I see that you even did the neon sign for Lincoln Design out of Portland. Some people that I know, but in also Facebook, LinkedIn, Jim Beam, you know, Stan Donuts. I mean, you know, on and on. I've done stuff at Wrigley Field, you know, United Center, you know, everywhere. It's just, it's no end to it. I love it. Well, you, my friend, are our gift. Thank you so much for coming through. I'm going to warn you now. Someday you're going to see me on your doorstep there. I want to come and shake your hand. But thank you so much for coming through today, Chess, and telling your story. Yep. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Not Real Art Podcast. Please make sure to like this episode, write a review, and share with your friends on social. Also, remember to subscribe so you get all of our new episodes. Not Real Art is produced by Crew West Studios in Los Angeles. Our theme music was created by Ricky Peugeot and Desi Deloro from the band Parlor Social. Not Real Art is created by We Edit Podcast and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Not Real Art. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating creative culture and the artists who make it.